Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. What a privilege we have to come and worship God and to sing praises to Him. And what a privilege we have to open up His Word and to see what He has for us this morning. Please stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 9 through 12 today, but I want to start at verse 1 for our scripture reading today. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame for ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is God's word. Praise God for that. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is strong and powerful and that you want to do something in us right this this very moment as we have heard your word. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, you may have experienced or are experiencing doubts in regard to your salvation. Maybe you cannot remember when you received Christ. You can't point to a specific date or time, and so you wonder, did I really come to Christ? Maybe you doubt if you were ever really saved in the first place, for some reason or another. Maybe you doubt because of struggles you have with a certain sin, or certain problems, or certain thoughts that you have, and you you think, how could a true believer struggle with these sins, or these problems, or these thoughts? How could I really be a true believer? Many Christians do not have assurance of salvation. Assurance is being sure of something, to, to know without a doubt that something is true. And God wants his children to know without a doubt that they belong to him, that they are secure in him, that they are kept for eternity in him. God wants Believers to be sure of their salvation. Now this assurance ought to accompany our our life in Christ and our service toward the name of Christ. 
The message to the Hebrew Christians was timely due to the doubts that many of them were experiencing. As you remember, the recipients of this letter were were, uh, Hebrews. They were Jewish believers. They were facing pressure to renounce their faith on, on several fronts. First, they were being strongly reminded of their historic Jewish religion. It was based on the law of Moses. It was based on the Aaronic priesthood. It was, it was based on the sacrifices continually being offered again and again. Right there in the temple. It had existed for 1,500 years. So, God had given it. What were they thinking? Leaving that to follow a man named Jesus who died a, a death by crucifixion that was shameful. How could they turn from that and, and go to someone who, who died a shameful death? There was another reason they were doubting. They were being persecuted. They were being mistreated for their faith in Christ. They were exposed to ridicule, to suffering. Some of them had been put in prison. Their property had been taken as well. And there were Jews that wanted to turn these new believers in Jesus away from Jesus and back to their Jewish roots. And God's message to them was this. I have spoken in Christ. My definitive speech, my last word on the subject of salvation. He is better than angels, better than Moses, better than The priesthood. Jesus is the great high priest. You can come to him. You can come boldly to his throne to receive mercy. Don't go back. Stick with Jesus. He sticks with you. Enter his rest. Come to his throne. Look to him. Believe in him. See, they needed to be reassured. And so do we. See, we all struggle to overcome the world and the flesh and the devil We all struggle to uh, enjoy the freedom we have in Christ. And while we may not uh, face the exact challenges the Hebrew Christians did, there are similar temptations in our lives that can cause us to doubt our salvation in Christ, those who possess salvation in Christ. So how can we gain or help others gain assurance of salvation? This passage we're looking at today, Hebrews 6, 9 through 12, points to two primary truths that God wants to get into our lives. God wants these to be a part and woven into the fabric of our lives. My prayer is that all who hear this message will either be assured of the salvation they have in Christ or they will be drawn by God into a relationship with Christ, resulting in salvation. First of all, assurance, assurance of salvation is rooted not in our own feelings, but in the character of God. It doesn't depend on how we feel. It depends upon God's justice and mercy and grace that have been shown to us in Christ. It has to do with facts. In verse 9, the writer to the Hebrews says, But beloved, he is referring in, in context to what he has just said, And he says, he calls them beloved. The only time in the book of Hebrews this word is used, it literally means those those God loves, uh, beloved by, by God, beloved of God. 
He says, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Fruit rather than thorns. Uh, He says, In your case, we are convinced of things that go along with salvation. Things that go along with knowing Jesus. Things that go along with being born again by the Spirit of God. Now, Hebrews 6, the first part of this chapter, contains some of the strongest language in the Bible addressed to believers. Strong words. Strong words of warning. And some of these that heard were probably starting to wonder, well, am I really saved? Am I one of them? One of those that fall away. Is that where I'm at? But now they hear words that ought to to bolster their faith, but ought to encourage them because they're words that basically says, take heart. Yes, take warning, but now take heart. Beloved, those loved by God, those kept by God, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Convinced. Things that go along with salvation. Earlier in the chapter, we see an example of people who profess to be, to be believers, but then fall away, therefore showing that they never were believers in the first place because they fail the test of genuineness. Now, there's a huge difference between those and believers who backslide. Those fully and finally reject Jesus. There's no chance of them being uh, repentant. They fail the test. But the writer was convinced that the people he was writing to truly knew Jesus. They would continue to make progress. They would continue to grow in Christ. God was at work in them. He was convinced of better things for them. Not the things that accompany damnation, but salvation. The, the fruit of the Spirit of God. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Not things we staple onto the outside of us to look a certain way, but things that God, because of the root of faith that he has caused to grow in our hearts, he creates, uh, uh, he enables fruit to be grown out of our lives. It's the outflow of the Spirit of God in us, working through us. Things that accompany salvation, a desire for the word of God, a desire to pray, a desire to worship and to please and to serve their heavenly father and ours. Confession of sin, an awareness of our sin because the spirit of God convicts us of our sin. And how about uh, just like a, a child loves to tell others about their father? Sharing our faith in Christ, telling others about our Heavenly Father, and then helping other believers. There's a lot of things that accompany salvation, and they're good things. And the writer of the Hebrews saw those things in the people that he was writing to. I see those things in you. You can be assured today, if you have come to know Christ, if you, if you deeply desire based upon that belief in Jesus, to do what is right in his sight. That God, who started a good work in you, will bring it on to completion. He is at work in you both to will and do his good pleasure. Don't be discouraged today. If you walk in here today discouraged and you think, maybe I'm not really a believer, 
but you know you are. You've got to put those thoughts aside and rest in the truth. Rest in the truth that God is growing fruit out of your life that goes along with salvation. You're not manufacturing it. God is producing it. See, in order to understand the things that accompany salvation, we need to understand salvation. What is it? How do you get it? There's a lot of people that are a little bit confused when it comes to that. Some are a lot confused. See, salvation is not primarily about us. Though we express ourselves very often in us-centered words about salvation. I chose to follow Jesus. I accepted Christ. I made Christ my Savior. Those words, uh, often we use them to express something that is true, but we use words that somehow can make people think another thing. Salvation is not primarily about us. It's about God's kingdom and glory. It's about God's kingdom and glory. By God's grace, we became Christians because God accepted us into his family. We came to God appealing to him for a good conscience. We came to God because he drew us to himself and he accepts us into his family. We were dead in sin, unable to move. And by his power, God made us alive in Christ. See, salvation is not about getting a free ticket uh, that is fire insurance and then living any way you want. Salvation is knowing and loving and serving God Almighty for his glory and his kingdom. Salvation is God's gift to us. We accept that gift. We don't earn it or, or buy it or merit it in any, in any, by any stretch of the imagination. There's nothing we can do to earn it. None of us is good enough to deserve it. God gives it to us freely when we confess our sins to him and ask Jesus, receive Jesus, and come into our lives as our Lord and our Savior. See, God does the seeking. God does the saving. Remember the I Found It campaign back in the 70s? It's like, you know what? God found us. We were the ones lost. God was never lost. Jesus seeks and saves. Luke 19. Luke 19.10. Here's what Jesus said. When Zacchaeus came to him in faith, he said, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Our response to God as he reveals himself in Jesus Christ is this. We listen and follow or we don't. Jesus gives humility to our minds. And he establishes assurance in our hearts. He conquers our rebellious hearts. He he leads us to surrender to his grace. As king of our lives. Gives us a precious gift. You know what that gift is? Assurance of salvation. That's a gift from God. To know. If you're sitting here today and you know without a doubt. And yes, you you doubt things sometimes. But you don't doubt your salvation. Because God has given you that gift. That's a precious gift. See, we don't accept God. God accepts us. We become Christians because God accepted us. 
Look at Ephesians. Chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1. We read this. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. It's God's work. It's God's work. And God accepts us and he also, he keeps us. He keeps us. In John chapter 5. In verse 24. Jesus, speaking of how he is equal to God, he says, Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. And then John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. Those are sure words. Those are promises from God. For people who think that they have accepted God, it is natural for them to think that they must keep on accepting him all the way through their Christian life so that they can be Uh, kept in Christ so that they can make it to heaven. Many of our struggles exist, I believe, because we do not understand fully that just as our salvation is a gift from God, so is our perseverance. So is our continuing on in the faith. That's a gift from God. See, many Christians lack full assurance of faith because of their changing emotions, and they're basing their faith on their changing emotions. They're basing their faith on their own thoughts rather than God's thoughts. Rather than on the unchanging word of God. I know that many of us are, are, are burdened by, by past or present sins. Things that you either engaged in or are engaged in now. And you feel totally unworthy of the grace of God. And let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you... you, you you're burdened by your past sin or you're burdened by your present sin in some way, but you don't feel unworthy of the grace of God, something's wrong. Let's just say you're not even burdened. Something's wrong. But if something in you is burdened and weighed down by your past or even your present, something's right. Something's right because God is bringing you to a point of acknowledging him again 
and receiving the full forgiveness that he offers once more. See, we battle with the Romans 7 dilemma. The very good thing that we want to do, we do the exact opposite sometimes. And we think we're wretched. We can't believe it. And that sometimes leads us down a road we ought not to go on, which is, well, maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I really didn't come to Christ. When what God wants us to do is run into his arms. What God wants us to do is turn and just, in, in, in repentance, admit it to him and receive the cleansing, receive the forgiveness once again. Yeah, you're, we're all messed up by Romans 7 issues. That's, you know what that means? You know what that shows you? You know what it shows you and me? We're human. <laughs> we're not God. We're, we're, norm, we're pretty normal, just like everybody else. It doesn't mean we should just keep on going sinning so that we get more grace. No, no, no. But it does mean that we don't wallow in it. It does mean that we don't take the low road and, and think that somehow we're now rejected because we've sinned. Think about how you've changed. Think about how you explain to people your testimony and they look at you and go, I could never imagine you like that. On Christ the solid rock we stand. Everything else, even our own ideas that are not jiving with Scripture, that's sinking. That's like sinking sand. Salvation cannot be lost. Salvation in Christ cannot be lost. Once saved, always saved. Jesus says all that believes in him will not come into judgment. That's a promise. If a person who has everlasting life came into judgment, then Jesus would be a breaker of his promises and God cannot lie. He will not do that. Jesus said it is really a matter of not us doing God's will to keep ourselves in Christ, but him doing God's will. Oh boy, this is beautiful. Never, never will we hunger. Never will we thirst in Jesus. Uh, He promised that he will not cast out anyone who comes to him. He won't lose even one that truly belongs to him. In verse 10, we see that this is based on God's, God's justice. God's not forgetting See, we're often un- unfair and forgetful. But verse 10 tells us God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Oh, we, f- we forget and we are forgetful and we are unfair and we have been treated in unfair ways. When my kids complain to me that that's not fair, I say that's how life is. Life's not fair. It's the way it goes. I got to deal with that every day too. You've been passed over for a promotion. You've been overlooked. You don't get invited. All the things that, humanly speaking, we are not. God is. You know what? We forget. We are treated unfairly. We treat others unfairly. But God never forgets. God does not forget. He doesn't forget. He he doesn't pass you over. He doesn't. He doesn't go past you unnoticed. He sees. He's so great. He sees every... You want to blow your mind? He sees every single person in the universe at this very moment and more. 
God knew what they were doing. They were exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in their life. They were showing their faith in Christ in active love toward God and service toward fellow believers. They were doing it for the sake of the name of God, not for their own sakes. Look at Hebrews 10. Someday we shall get there, the Lord willing. And Hebrews 10, verse 32, personalizes it and says, Remember. Remember the former days. Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. Verse 34, you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Some of them were thrown in jail for their faith. You you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. You took their, their stuff. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and and a lasting one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. See, those good works, they don't save us, but if we are saved, they will show. They'll be there. See, God assures us, and he doesn't assure us by giving greater confidence in ourselves, in our own abilities. He assures us by bringing us to the end of ourselves so that we might fully trust him and love him and know him. See, it's easy to think that our good works are like a bank account. You just make deposits. They keep on putting them in. They make interest. And one day you come to God and say, remember what I did? Time to pay up. Uh, There's only one thing wrong with that. (laughs) It's not true. Uh, There's only one thing resting in our account with God. Only one thing. It's the imputed, which means put into account, into our account, the imputed righteousness of Christ. That is the only thing in our account with God. It fills up the whole account, by the way. There is no need for anything else. It's all based on him. It isn't our ability to hold on to our faith. It's God's ability to keep holding on to us that gives us assurance. You see, we want people to see how capable we are. We don't want people to see how weak we are. But isn't that when we most relate to one another? When we are honest and transparent with each other? In his justice, God remembers our ministry and the love which we show to his name. And that gives confidence that we won't fall away. But how does that happen? how How can we say that God's justice gives us assurance? That God being just brings about assurance. Let me try to explain. I don't even know if I understand my own explanation here, so let's give it a whirl. The justice of God, the righteousness of God, is not his giving people what they deserve. It's his acting in accordance with his name. God would be unjust and unrighteous if he ever acted in a way that that minimized his name, that minimized his greatness, that minimized his glory. And the greatest injustice in the entire world is not honoring the name of God, not honoring the glory of God. 
See, God sees our love for him and sees not human performance that makes him a debtor to us, something that deserves repayment like salvation. No. He doesn't see God people, God doesn't see people calling attention to themselves and say, God, look how worthy I am because of all the things I've done. No, what he sees is this. Dependent people looking away from themselves to him, all-powerful God, and his glory, his kingdom. And so his justice says, I will remember those who look away from themselves and look to me alone for acceptance through Jesus. Does that make sense? I hope so. Uh, Assurance is rooted in the character of God, who he is, not who we are. There's one other thing. Assurance of salvation comes through a long obedience in the right direction. A long obedience in the right direction. Over 20 years ago, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He took the, the uh, title from Friedrich Nietzsche, who used it in a, in a different way, that sentence. And he even wrote in his book that if, he, if Nietzsche read uh, his book by the title, he would be blown away because it points all to Jesus, <laughs> not to self. But a long obedience in the right direction. Verse 11 says this, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. They were to be diligent, they were to show zeal, to be longing for God and to make haste to go toward him, to experience the full assurance of their hope in Christ, to reach maturity, to to not become insensitive to God. They were to go on in faith, exhibiting the same enthusiasm for God and his people they had at the beginning. They were to do this with the strength that God provides, not their own. See, if we make it to the end, it will not be because of our determination. It will be the result of God's faithfulness. If we survive, we will do so not because of our endurance, but because God is righteous and he sticks with us and he gives us endurance. To have full assurance, we must rely entirely on Jesus. John 15, 5, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing means nothing. He is in charge of the battle. He is the author and finisher of our faith. We are God's fellow workers. God uses us in some way we can't understand, but without God in the picture, it's useless. In salvation, God blesses us with assurance through his gift of perseverance. Again, many believers wrongly think that their perseverance is dependent upon their ability to sustain their life in Christ to the end. As if God started you out on a journey and then lets you go and until you get maybe to heaven. Uh, somehow. <laughs> That's practical deism. Thinking that God makes us new creations in Christ and then leaves us to our own devices. 
sits back, he just sits back watching and as we go through life's issues and problems and pains, just waiting to see if we'll make it. It's not the way it is. Our assurance will waver daily if we think that way. The Galatians thought that way. Just this afternoon, read Galatians 3. You'll see what, what Paul said to them. See, if we think that it's dependent upon our natural abilities to persevere, we'll constantly be in doubt. Because we can't. Assurance comes through trusting, obedient action. Not just thought. It also has to have feet on it. And arms and legs and eyes. God's desire is to keep us going and to finish well. And he gives us godly examples to follow. In verse 12 we read this. So that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. They were not to be sluggish. That's that same word in chapter 5 verse 11 that's translated dull of hearing. Sluggish. Sluggishness kills diligence, by the way. It's like rock, paper, scissors. You know, it's the the rock that crushes the scissors. Uh, Sluggishness kills diligence. When we lose our sense of opposition to sin, when we rationalize our sin, when we obscure the difference between faith and denial of Christ, when we in some way say, you know what, there's no difference between Christians and non-Christians, then what in the world are we trying to persevere towards? What in the world are we doing (laughs) if there is no difference between the way of faith and the way of the world? Who would want to make any human effort to stick with that? We are to be followers of Jesus. Imitators, the the Greek word means mimic. You know, when you you copy somebody and, okay, uh, mimics of those who inherit the promise. See what they did and do that. We're to imitate godly examples like Abraham and others. Gideon, Elijah, Joseph, Ruth, Esther, Elijah. And think how many times God brought them to the end of themselves so that they would fully trust in him. Put them in situations where there was a dead end, humanly speaking, and only God, only God could deliver. Daniel they believe God. And Abraham's spoken of here in verse, in verse 13. When God made the promise to Abraham, he could swear by no one greater. He swore by himself, I will bless you and I will multiply you. And Abraham patiently waited and he obtained the promise. John Calvin said this, and it's right there in your bulletin. Surely while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt. Or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. See, we all deal with doubts and anxieties. We all do. That's part of being human. It's how we deal with them that makes us or breaks us. In Hebrews 11, the writer names person after person whose life was centered on the faithfulness of God. Who stuck by them through thick and thin. And they were able then to persevere. None of them lived without sin. They all made their share of mistakes and they all went through periods of disobedience and rebellion. But God was faithful and enabled them to persevere. So they inherited the promises. 
See, God's promises are sure. They're true. He has promised us in Christ that we have a glorious inheritance in him. Waiting, assured, secured, sealed by the Holy Spirit. What trusting, obedient action does God use to build assurance in us? I just want to remind you of two quiet disciplines. They don't call attention to themselves. They're indispensable. My predecessor, Pastor Ed, I know for many, many years, he sang this same song, and I'll sing it too. God's word and prayer. God's word and prayer. And it's, it's got to be focused on Jesus, not on our doing. But God has given us two primary disciplines that don't scream for attention, that don't say, look at me. They're just quiet. But without these two, nothing will be solid in our life in Christ. We will feel like we're going to be thrown away all the time if these two things aren't solid. Listening to God speak to us through his word. Simple. This week, if you're going to read the bookmark verses uh, Monday through Friday, you'll be reading Romans 8. And read that today. You will be so encouraged in your faith that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, love of God which is in Christ. Nothing. Nothing can separate us when we are in Christ. And then the idea of answering God personally and honestly in prayer. And if you wonder what that means, think of it in these two ways. Just talking like you would to a really close friend. And then, like David and the psalm, other psalmists in the Psalms, how honest they were with God. They threw it all on the table. They weren't afraid that God might be mad at them for what they said because they knew God knew already. David said some wild things to God. Some wild things. Answering God honestly and personally in prayer. We've got to brace ourselves for the long haul. Okay? This is not a short trip. We've got to accept the realities of life. It's hard. Okay? Uh, and you will still sin even though you don't want to. Last thing. Verse 11 points to the fact that God wants us to have full assurance of faith. Full assurance. Complete assurance. He wants you to feel strong and confident and secure and bold. Ready to lay your life down for the sake of God's name. He does not want us to be fearful and uncertain about our future. He is calling us this morning to bank our Assurance on hope, on his mercy, and on his justice. That is sure, that is confirmed, that will never move. The mercy of God has reached out to us utterly unworthy and gives us faith and forgiveness and the justice of God upholds the honor of his name magnified in our faith. Yes, anxiety and doubt, they dog us. They chase us. 
Sometimes you wake, I woke up this week one day, 4.30 in the morning, with anxiety and doubt. I pleaded to Jesus, and he answered my prayer. And calmness came over me. And then I started thinking again and more anxiety and doubt. And I pleaded again with Jesus. And I looked to Jesus. It's like the idea of every, every self-centered thought. I had to have ten times more thoughts about Jesus to counteract them. Three times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Three times. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Our life with, with Jesus is a sure thing. Think about mountain climbing. When mountain climbers are in dangerous terrain, they're maybe they're on the face of a cliff or a slopes of a glacier, what do they do? They tie themselves together. They tie themselves together, and sometimes one of them slips and falls. But not everyone falls. The rest are able to hold. And then there's always one in the group that's the more experienced expert. In our case, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He began and finished the race that we are in. He has gone before us, and he is with us. We slip, we stumble, we fall, but rest assured, Jesus Jesus holds on to us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we come to you slipping and stumbling and falling, often worrying and anxious. But we thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you, you are the author and finisher of our faith. You are the, the one that we look to. You are the one that holds on to us. We praise you, Lord, and what that does, it makes us want to serve you all the more and to, and to serve one another all the more. So we thank you, Lord God. We thank you, and we pray that you would be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please stand with me. I, uh, liked, I, always, I really like uh, Hebrews 13, verse 20. Kind of sums up what we're talking about in many ways today. I'll read that in a minute, but I'll say this. If you need prayer for anything, myself and others will be up here to pray with you. Maybe you want to pray with somebody about being assured of your salvation. Or you want to come to faith in Christ. Or you just have issues you need, you need prayer for. We'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you. Here's Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, Equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.